alertness, astuteness, attention, awareness, cognizant, consciousness, familiarity, insight, keenness, knowing, mindfulness, perceiving, recognition, understanding, witting. These are all partial synonyms for reflexivity in research. In this podcast, Raw Reflexivity, the last of a series of 10 podcasts that accompany my textbook, Writing and Representing Qualitative Research, published by SAGE, I explore reflexivity, a core aspect of qualitative research, writing, and representation. While reflexivity is a vital part of the entire research process, it is a difficult construct to explain, let alone to represent in research accounts. If you want to find previous podcasts, infographics, uh, PDFs with qualitative information, a series of interactive webinars I have with QSR and Vivo, and more, make your way to my website, marialayman.com, and opt into my communications. Qualitative is stronger in community. So considering the synonyms for reflexivity that I listed at the outset of the podcast, none of them fully capture what reflexivity is. It's an aspiration, an intent, and process all at once. The inability to easily explain reflexivity speaks to the power of the construct. Some of the most essential aspects of human experience, such as joy, are the hardest to pin down through language. Yet I make this attempt since if you say to a novice, well, you'll know it when you see it or you experience it, feel it, can be really frustrating and it doesn't inspire much confidence. However, it is true that the first time a deep, reflexive research experience washes over you, you'll know it. So how then might we represent this experience, reflexivity, in our research accounts? To support this exploration, in this podcast, I review researcher reflexivity literature, present contemporary ideas in researcher reflexivity, illustrate how reflexivity has traditionally been addressed in research representations through what I call the researcher resume stance and the vulnerable researcher stance, and introduce a new idea I've been mulling over, raw reflexivity. So what is reflexivity in research? Spanning a hundred years of research literature, reflexivity is arguably one of the most important constructs in qualitative research. It's referred to in most methodological texts and increasingly in articles across myriad fields. Yet, writers rarely demonstrate how reflexivity occurred in their research beyond a short statement that the research process was reflexive or in a completely separate article. Rosanna Hertz defines reflexivity as an optimistic active construct that has been said to be an ongoing conversation about experience while simultaneously living in the moment. Ubiquitous, it permeates every aspect of the research process, challenging us to be more fully conscious of the ideology, culture, and politics of those we study. Unquote. Linda Finley and Brendan Gow write, the root of the word reflexive means to bend back upon oneself. In research terms, this can be translated as thoughtful, self-aware analysis of the intersubjective dynamics between the researcher and the researched, unquote. So if reflection is seen as occurring after experience, reflexivity occurs before, during, and after experience. And Cunliffe's article, 2016, is a rich resource for discussion and development of the role of reflexivity in research. She describes researcher reflexivity as not a technique, but a way of being in relation with others that brings with it a moral and ethical consideration. 
It requires us to be solicitous and respectful of differences. Being reflexivity doesn't give us definitive answers to problems, but highlights the need to engage in critical questioning and deeper debate around taken-for-granted issues that have potential moral and ethical implications. Critical reflexivity, a construct developed by Anne Cunliffe, is described as enabling an examination of the potentially unintended ethical consequences of institutional policies and practices. A critically reflexive researcher questions the assumptions underpinning knowledge claims and how they influence research design, research practice, theory generation, and how we write our research accounts, unquote. So to engage with issues of reflexivity, researchers are encouraged to keep a researcher journal where they reflect on the happenings in the field. Researchers have also extended the traditional prose journal into creative arts reflection through things such as collage and researcher poetry. Traditionally, reflexivity has been present and vital throughout the research process, but is superficially and inconsistently addressed in final research accounts. Of this, Amelie Crosley wrote in 2019, Published accounts of personal reflexivity vary enormously from intimate, in-depth explorations of the researcher's subjectivity to the more modest disclosure statements, which are usually relegated to what are considered safe spaces in the text, such as the methodology section. Unquote. So while this superficiality is partly due to space and time constraints in our research accounts, we must continue to resist the overall research dogma that calls for researcher objectivity. Adherence to the objectivity is no doubt the underlying reason why the expansive, vulnerable accounts of introspective researchers are often reserved for separate publications from the one where the researcher features the findings of the research study. So then just a few areas in contemporary reflexivity that I want to uh, review and I'll put the full references in the, I have put the full references uh, in the podcast description. People are writing in areas such as feminist reflexivity, self-reflexivity, critical reflexivity, queer reflexivity, ethical and mindful and dangerous and deep reflexivity. All these areas are well worth your exploration. So as you can see, the conversation in these areas have long been fruitful, but when reflexivity filters out from the more extended, complex discussion to questions of exactly how should we represent this in our research account, resources and models are scant with a little discussion. This is why I think that the dominated form, the truncated researcher stance, which reads more like a researcher resume statement, remains accepted and often uncontested. This short form is driven by a lack of space in manuscripts and more problematically, as I said, the likelihood that a lingering sense of being judged by objectivists still causes a researcher to pull back from examining their own subjectivity within their researcher account. So I'll use this phrase, researcher resume statements, since this is the way I describe it, uh, when I ask an introductory group of qualitative research members to write a researcher's stance. So in a class like this, I have students from all areas of the social, behavioral, and educational sciences, and in many of these fields in the related research journals, writing vulnerable as a researcher is not an option. So at the bare minimum, I require a researcher's stance statement that reads like a prose version of a resume or vita. 
Unfortunately, I feel this is the dominant form of reflexivity in written research accounts. It is crafted to allow readers a surface understanding of the researcher's training, as well as professional and applied experiences, all of which inform the context and biases surrounding the study. A researcher might write about a personal experience they had as a coach, teacher, nurse, parent, or educator, as well as their own education in these areas. This statement is a short entry, no more than a scant paragraph or so in a journal article. In the full chapter, I have multiple examples of each of these types of statements. So then the vulnerable researcher reflexive, reflexive statement builds on the resume statement, but also explicitly tells research readers about a direct, intimate relationship the researcher has with this topic of the research. So for example, for myself, if I'm looking at loss of a pregnancy, I'll state that I had an ectopic pregnancy, but won't go into more than that. You'd have to look at separate autoethnographies I've written to see the much more vulnerable and deep account of pregnancy loss. Perhaps, uh, and I want to uh, point out that not all research is going to have the vulnerable aspect. So here's some examples. Perhaps the study is part of a large grant the researcher has joined, or the researcher has an intellectual idea they mauled over from the literature, but they haven't experienced it personally. In these cases, I'm not advocating for researchers to manufacture a vulnerability that's not real. Also, this kind of vulnerability, as I've said, is not always welcome in all disciplines. I have known students to write a vulnerable researcher statement and have their faculty advisors ask them to withdraw the personal portion from their work. While the student, when becoming a professor or professional researcher, will have the freedom to make this judgment for themselves, I think at the time while they're still a student, we must assume that the faculty know the field the student will be applying to professionally. While discomfort with a vulnerable stance is unfortunate, it is important to understand what is at stake when we share intimately in researcher writing. So the last type of major written reflexivity statement I want to address, I'm calling raw reflexivity. Exposed, helpless, naked, open, powerless, pregnable, unarmed, unguarded, vulnerable, are all synonyms for the word raw. Inspired by a research study I was privileged to supervise, I began to consider the idea of what I came to term raw reflexivity. Tyler Kincaid's 2019 dissertation research included in-depth interviews with members of a homeless shelter and observations conducted during a national point-in-time homeless survey. His research was the culmination of personal experiences as a youth who had been homeless research he conducted with homeless individuals, and deep engagement with scholarship in research ethics with respect to the homeless. During the writing stage of Tyler's study, I was struck by what I came to think of as the rawness of his reflexive accounts. I wondered out loud to Tyler about the powerful level of intimacy and vulnerability and even confusion he allowed into his reflections, which were portrayed in the final research representation. Tyler shared that the field reflections were all recorded by dictating into a voice-to-text application on his smartphone. This meant that his researcher reflexivity notes were transcriptions, just as a participant's interview is. This gives the researcher reflexivity entries a clear sense of immediacy. You are listening to Tyler talk to himself, because indeed he is talking to himself. There is something about this rawness that increases vulnerability as compared with the written, reflexive journal entries where we can hide our vulnerability behind the academic shield of writing. This is a process Tyler had first developed when researching punk rock bands. 
Tyler's research venues and participants aren't conducive to computer use. The settings calls for extensive driving, walking, hanging out, so dictating into a smartphone app was ideal. What I came to see, based on the hundreds of student researcher journal reflexive entries I've read or written myself, is that Tyler's researcher journal entries had a deep sense of rawness because they were his spoken thoughts at the time in the field. These entries were not written, thoughtful prose, composed at a later time, and crafted with consideration of audience and writing style. This brings about a consideration of how voices of research participants are handled in research representations, compared with how we handle our own researcher voice. The convention is to record participants' voices and use direct quotes about their experience. Let's challenge ourselves to do the same with our raw, reflexive moments. Audio record these moments of revelation, confusion, and relational connection to the larger picture of humanity that is the context of our research. I don't want to undermine the four ways Uh, the forays we make into reflexive writing in our work, but to challenge us to continue to identify the moments of raw reflexivity we experience and recount them in our research. I have pushed, required, many a novice researcher to write in the first person, develop a paragraph about who they are related to their research, and place themselves beside the participant to the extent possible in a conventional researcher article. Well, this is a great starting place, it has too often become the stopping place. We can and we must do better. So what's your reflexivity plan for the research process? Are you going to use a researcher journal, oral dictation, oral peer processing, collage, multimedia? This is a good thing to reflect on uh, prior to the process. If you want to find previous podcasts, uh, infographics, and a series of interactive webinars I have with QSR and Vivo and more, make your way to my website, marialayman.com, and opt into my communications. Anne Cunliffe wrote, being reflexive is about having a heart, unquote. Reflexivity is a fascinating area of qualitative research that when permeating the entire process enriches research by heightening our awareness of experience. Yet only hints of how reflexivity might be represented in research accounts are found in the literature. The process of representing reflexivity in research accounts has much room for development, and I look forward to reading future ideas. The position of this podcast and the book chapter it represents as the last one in the series and the textbook was deliberate, since all strands of qualitative research writing come together through reflexive accounts.